Hello everybody, welcome to the first Room Room uh, that we are live streaming today. I am Jack, I'm from rheumatology.physio and hopefully we're going to cover some good ground with regards to osteoarthritis in this stream today. So um, if somebody can just pop into the chat bar, I know there's a few people watching, um, so pop into the chat bar that you can hear um, and see me, that would be absolutely ideal. Um, I don't really get any feedback using this mechanism as to whether anybody can hear or see me. Um, so just give me a thumbs up or just let me know you're here, something like that. Um, and then we'll crack on with some of the clinical content. Oh, excellent. So we've got Hannah. Nice to see you, Hannah. And Francesca. Fran oh, apologies. Francesca. Francesca um, can see and hear us. So um, we're going to crack on with um, some questions. So hello, Tamara as well. Um, I've had a few questions that have been put in early doors from my um, social media posts that were out yesterday. So we're gonna cover those first. And if anybody wants to pop any further questions into the chat bar or um, have any comment comments or anything like that, then uh, please let me know. Um, first thing that I'm gonna get everybody to um, to do is we're gonna, we're gonna try and run these weekly to start with um, certainly for the foreseeable future every um, Tuesday at 8 p.m. my time we'll see how they go if it becomes too burdensome for everybody to keep up with then maybe we'll slow them down a little bit um, but um, we'll see as long as the questions keep coming in I will keep trying to answer them um, so obviously tell all your friends share it if you think it's any good um, then let me know if you think it's rubbish also let me know and I'll try and do better next time um, so first question we've got, I've got uh, my very technical um, piece of paper here that I've got my questions written down on. Um, so first question comes from, it came from Twitter and it was from um, at the new girl triple zero. Um, and she asked, how do you explain OA to patients? Other professionals use wear and tear, bone and bone and can blame activities such as running as the cause. And this can be very unhelpful when you try to encourage exercise and strengthening. And I thought it'd be a good question to start with because the uh, follow up question that we've got in a minute is uh, follows on quite nicely from this. Um, and osteoarthritis is a really difficult one to explain to patients. It's one of those conditions where you, you have to be honest, um, it, it, if you look at it on an x-ray, it is technically degradation of the joint. So the joint is uh, not as good as it was at one point in the, in the past. Um, but what we need to do is get, a, get that across in a reassuring fashion um, and make sure that the patients understand the exact processes, um, what, what's got them to this point, uh, and what, what they can do to help and why things like exercise, strengthening, running isn't bad for their joints. Um, so if we we'll start off by thinking about what the pathophysiology is of osteoarthritis and Obviously, if you go back in time, it was thought to be this sort of wear and tear scenario where uh, the joints would rub on, on each other or the, or the bones would rub on the cartilage and wear that away, much like a car tire. And I think this is where the question is sitting um, about, you know, people using wear and tear and bone on bone. Um, and certainly the degradation of the joint does have some bearing upon what, what is happening with regards to people's symptoms. But it's the the changes we see on the x-ray are sort of they're more an outcome 
outcome of having osteoarthritis. So the current understanding of osteoarthritis is this low-grade um, inflammatory process, which for all intents and purposes is pretty normal. So if you imagine your joint um, goes through stages through every day where the, the inflammation goes up and down a little bit, um, and that keeps the joint fed, um, so that with uh, sort of inflammatory proteins and that kind of thing within the joint fluid to keep everything um, to keep everything healthy, um, and that turnover of cartilage and bone is normal. And as we age, um, we our metabolism slows and we get a little bit worse at doing that, for want of a better term. And what happens is that can lead the joint to deteriorate. Now, what happens is is that um, people will have these joint changes at a greater or lesser speed depending upon their own individual circumstances. So we have to consider that there's quite a large genetic component um, to whether people will develop osteoarthritis of a joint. We have to consider their general health as well. So anything that increases their resting level of inflammation is going to cause them to have a faster process within the joint. So you can imagine if you take someone who um, has quite a lot of um, inflammatory issues, so uh, they're, they're obese, especially with abdominal fat, they smoke, maybe they're diabetic as well, that will increase their resting level of inflammation, um, which it, it is, increases the, the, the normal level of synovitis of, uh, around the joint. And then what then happens is that if you add on a uh, particular a genetic um, predisposition to to getting um, osteoarthritis as well then that's when you see these people who are in their 20s or 30s who have osteoarthritic joints already um, and and that can ha happen quite quickly now that's a relatively extreme example but you can see how you might find some people would get into their 90s before getting any joint problems or even never get it at all and other people get it at a younger age um, and it is it's important to remember that actually the level of activity is not very relevant to their um, to their joint degradation. So uh, we know, for example, there are studies in runners um, and uh, recreational runners. So anybody that's not an elite athlete running um, extreme mileage per week, it, it does it. There is no um, there's no more likelihood to get um, x-ray changes or osteoarthritic x-ray changes for those people and actually they get less symptoms so you you if you match them with their x-ray changes versus the sedentary people they get less symptoms so you see the same amount of x-ray change but less amount of symptoms if that makes sense the distinction so the way that i go on to explain that to a patient is that i say to them look we don't know within your individual circumstance exactly what it is to let to lead you to this point we know that uh, we may have an x-ray for example we know that your x-ray shows changes um, but what we also know is that those changes are not sufficient enough to cause you pain all on their own there are other things that are going to cause aggravated symptoms um, so if that's the case there are things that we can change to make sure that um, those symptoms decrease um, and what I'll say to them is, you know, you have this capsule around the outside of the joint. And what that does is it provides um, joint fluid, which keeps the joint lubricated. Um, but it also provides all the nice stuff that cartilage needs um, to flourish. And then what happens is that that 
um, that capsule uh, can become more active or less active depending on the rest of your circumstances. So uh, if it's more active, then you would create more joint fluid, more of those um, inflammatory chemicals, um, and then that's not very good for the joint over the long term. Um, but what is good for the joint is things like exercise. So what we will see in people with exercise, who, or sorry, people who have higher levels of exercise, is that the quality of their cartilage can actually increase so they can't increase the amount of cartilage that they have but where it's thinned that cartilage quality can improve so if they then take on weight bearing exercises they can improve that that cartilage that is left um, so what we do then is that you, you sort of have to map it onto the individual patient, but you'd say, you know, quite an easy one would be things like uh, joint surgery. So if anybody's ever had joint surgery, especially in the knee, um, then that's quite a good predictor of going on to develop osteoarthritis. And it's a very easy way of explaining what happens. So you get this insult to the knee, uh, which increases the inflammation around the area um, or the inflammation, the synovitis around the joint. That over a prolonged period of time causes extra of those inflammatory chemicals around the joint and causes the, the potential degradation we see on x-ray. What then becomes really interesting is you obviously will see some people who have one terrible looking knee and one really good looking knee um, and actually their really good looking knee is the very painful one and that could be quite a nice way in. So I always make sure that I say to people, you know, um, it really is irrelevant what their knee x-ray shows um, or, or their MRI scan shows. It's all about what their symptoms are and can we modify those symptoms. So there is no reason why, um, and I think we use the term bone on bone, even if we used that term bone on bone um, from the x-ray, then there's no reason why they can't improve with the strengthening exercises, the cardiovascular exercises, um, the physiotherapy that we can provide them. So... I, I sort of I don't dismiss the x-ray I say look you know uh, there are relevances to the x-ray and actually if if we come back in six months time and we've not improved at all then it, we we might consider that the x-ray um, is severe enough to be causing you some some more problems but actually what we do know is that it doesn't matter at what stage your x-ray looks like if you start these exercise programs then uh, we can go on to see some really good improvements so it's really important to have that conversation with people, see if they can get a light bulb moment that actually we need to ignore to a certain degree the x-ray because the problem with osteoarthritis is, and I say, and I voice this to patients, is you, you've kind of got a bit of an all or nothing treatment program with them. Uh, we're seeing more and more that the injection side of things isn't very good for the joint and actually potentially speeds up their requirement for a knee replacement even though symptomatically in the short term can be helpful so they kind of have these two options they either go full on for a knee replacement which has its own risks its own problems um, especially in the younger patient um, or they try the exercise program the exercise programs they're not a quick fix so it's, if they're there thinking oh, i'm going to be better in a few weeks that's not really going to happen because what we've got to do with the exercise program is that we have to improve the whole conditioning of the system it's not just the leg so you take something like a strengthening exercise and yes that will offload the knee joint to a degree especially something like the patellofemoral joint but with the we, but that's really not the mechanism that we're aiming to, to hit. What we're aiming for is an improved um, global uh, ability to do things. So we want in better fitness, better tolerance. So we know that um, with exercise programs, people's central sensitization decreases so they can tolerate more activity before they 
before they get a pain response um, to simplify that down a little bit but also we get sort of more um, self-efficacy um, and with the exercise programs obviously we can bring BMI down um, so everything like that all those factors we're wait we, we're sort of waiting for those to kick in and start to improve things so it isn't a quick fix and it is something that we we need to tell people is going to take time and there's no way i wouldn't sit in front of any patient who who we thought osteoarthritis was the overriding um, diagnosis causing their symptoms and say that they're going to be tons better in a few weeks time it's going to be months and they need to stick out this exercise program because it's a global change they're looking for not a local change um, so I hope, hopefully that's that's been helpful um, to explain sort of some of the differences there. I mean, yes, I would agree absolutely that using terms where wear and tear is not not entirely correct, um, and that has been shown to have detrimental um, psychological effects to patients when you tell them that. Um, and bone on bone certainly not helpful at all either. Um, iatrogenic is the is the term that we would use, um, not helpful at all try and use a reassuring type conversation with the patients and hopefully um, that will get them on board in the same way with the exercise programs. If anybody's got any further questions on that do please put them into the chat and we can come back to that but hopefully that's given you some ideas as to how to discuss those things with patients. Certainly one of the things I always try not to do is be critical of previous um, healthcare professionals um, and I've learned that along the way and I've heard a lot of people say that before as well is that there's no mileage for you as the, as the current professional to say anything bad about the previous one. Um, for one, they, that patient might have a really, really good rapport with the previous with the previous. Um, uh, Oh, I've gone right out of my head what I was saying uh, with the with the previous professional and you might ruin your own rapport by doing that. So just uh, I just say this is how I explain it. This is how I explain it differently and see whether that makes sense to them. And hopefully it does. And usually you can find a way of getting around that. Um, and I always sort of talk a little bit about research and those kind of things. So the second uh, follow up question, um, which I thought fit into this quite nicely um, as a sort of follow up was from Jack Chu, who um hopefully most people are aware of um, and he said and it's quite an interesting question really where does OA end and RA begin in edge cases so what he's meaning there is if you've got um, if, if we consider osteoarthritis to be an inflammatory condition and then we obviously take rheumatoid arthritis which would be sort of your archetypal inflammatory arthritis um, then then where do you where do you draw that line if they've got similar pathological processes um, and there, there is some distinction that we can make and there, there are some interesting um, interesting points we can make there so what I would say is that if you were to look on if you were to look at a thousand foot view for example then yes the inflammatory system theoretically causes the osteoarthritis so that low level increased inflammation within the within the body over an extended period of time and if you take rheumatoid arthritis you get a similar process so you have a, a raised inflammatory process through the body for an extended period of time and that causes damage to the joints and both of the things both of rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis it's through synovitis that causes that problem over the long term so what we then need to do is with a distinction we need to zoom in a little bit so if you imagine that um osteoarthritis like we said is, is caused by this general raising of inflammation within the bloodstream so that's the initiating factor so let's let's make it simple for ourselves and let's say um, someone's got a high BMI uh, so they've got excess abdominal fat and we know that that creates inflammatory cytokines that get released into the system they're called adipokines which is I find a interesting phrase 
or interesting word, I should say. So it releases adipokines into the system and that raises up your general inflammatory uh, level in the blood. So uh, your ESR, your erythrocyte sedimentation rate, for example, will be raised. And we can show that over extended periods of time. So if you take... Um, if you take someone who has a normal BMI, then ESR would normal ESR will be somewhere around 16 to 20. Whereas someone with a higher BMI, a BMI of over 30, their ESR can be, sit at a normal range of of 26. So it is quite a, quite a significant raise there. Um, so we know that that happens. So what then happens is that those inflammatory cytokines will eventually start to affect the joints, um, just like they do with multiple other systems. So they affect the uh, cardiovascular system. You end up with more risk of heart attack, strokes, um, all these kind of things. We know that being um, over, overweight, obese is a risk for having cancers, certain types of cancers. So all sorts of uh, things happen. And the fact that it affects the joints um, is not, uh, not a giant surprise. So we're, we're talking of an, uh, an instigating factor of that general level of inflammation, inflammation. Now, if we talk about rheumatoid arthritis, then what we see is that the initiating factor is that the immune system itself is causing that raised inflammation. So the immune system is, is not recognizing the synovial cells as part of you and starts, for want of a better term, to attack those cells and causes the inflammation. So you've got a more direct cause of the inflammatory problem. So you get more of an acute type synovitis. So what you then have is this distinction where you would see in rheumatoid arthritic patients, you would see quite hot, red, swollen joints um, and also a component of tenosynovitis as well, which is what causes the stiffness, that the hand stiffness or the foot stiffness, joint stiffness. Um, and those th that is then protracted. So because the immune system is causing that reaction, that causes a protracted um, stiffness, especially in the morning, joint stiffness, especially in the morning or especially after rest. Whereas osteoarthritis, because it's general, you don't get that protracted stiffness. So it's quite a good way of dis differentiating. The other thing that we'll tend to see is the location of the joints affected. So in osteoarthritis, you tend to get um, the big toe, the knee, the hip and the um, the the uh, CMC joint of the thumb are the most likely affected locations, whereas in rheumatoid arthritis, the MCP joints um, and the MTP joints are the most likely affected with the knees and ankles coming, coming sort of relatively quickly after that. So a bit of distinction there as well. Um, but really, it's eventually what you get is if you consider that everybody's immune system is slightly different um, and you have your own unique immune system, you will get some people who have osteoarthritis that blur to look like a rheumatoid arthritic pattern and you will get some rheumatoid arthritic patients that blur to look like an osteoarthritic pattern and we do have to consider that patients will come with their own sort of unique set of symptoms so it's it those real fringe cases where you get some odd ones we're probably going to find that that's a little bit more difficult and what we would then or what the rheumatologists, for example, would do is you base it uh, upon blood tests and you base it, base it on imaging changes um, on ultrasound, usually, like I say, to find tenosynovitis. So there would be some changes there, um, which we would probably see to distinguish out what those patients have. So if you've got someone in clinic, um, then really you can do some differentiation with, uh, with family history. Um, so family history of rheumatoid arthritis is a bit predictive of coming, going on to develop it, but also um, that protracted early morning stiffness. So early morning stiffness lasting longer than 30 minutes um, or stiffness that deteriorates after resting. 
but also waking in the night as well. So if patients wake in the night, um, they will often have quite specific patterns to their night waking with rheumatoid arthritis and the other inflammatory conditions. So they'll tend to wake in the second half of the night and they'll tend to have to do exercise to try and loosen their joints off. Uh, whereas with osteoarthritic patients, that doesn't tend to happen quite so much. Um, so th there is some ways you can differentiate that in clinic. And I can see that Jack is uh, giving me a, an OK sign to say that I've answered his question reasonably. But I do think that what we do need to remember is that those patients will blur on occasion. We, we should, when we're, when we're seeing patients in clinical, we obviously need to ask them all about their past medical history. And that's probably outside of today's um, webinars distinction. But um, there is a lot of things we can do with regards to differential diagnosis, because what we need to remember as well is that other conditions, especially rheumatology conditions, when we're talking about joints being affected, can look a little bit like osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis. So it's one of those things where you might think, OK, they don't have symptoms that are suggestive of rheumatoid arthritic pattern. So I'll call it osteoarthritis. But what you're actually doing is you're missing another key variable that then you would go on to say, actually, they do have a rheumatology problem, just not the rheumatology problem that I thought. Uh, so hopefully that answers Jack's question about fringe osteoarthritic patients. Um, it's a difficult one to answer. I had a similar, very similar question from, uh, from um, David Poulter as well around, um, around osteoarthritis. And one of the things that um, I do want, want to sort of say about um, osteoarthritis is that, you know, I think we can, we're getting towards the stage of saying it is a more of a metabolic problem than it is to be a, um, a physical um, wear problem. It's definitely something to do with that. We do see um, there are there are some locations like, um, for example, like I said, the CMC joint. It's not a high load if you imagine the load that's going through your knee versus the load that's going through your cmc joint they're not equal and yet cmc is the third like most lo likely location um to see osteoarthritis um so you, you we are moving towards that as a metabolic issue and this is why general health is so important with regards to people's function they need to stay generally health to generally healthy um to reduce their risk of osteoarthritis and things like smoking obviously is um is detrimental towards that as well um so basically with the same same then same treatment patterns we're then obviously going to treat them more, quite generally with general health advice general exercise advice there's no nothing to stop you at all doing specific exercises for the the joint affected um so like we said there is um, evidence to show that the cartilage quality will improve if you exercise the joint um, but equally if they're really struggling with um, severe pain then exercising other joints um, as well so you might do a lower load through, let's say it's osteoarthritic you might do a lower load uh, exercise program for the knee but then you might do higher load exercise programs upper limb to try and get that cardiovascular element the general health element alongside uh, dietary advice um, smoking cessation all those kind of things uh, so hopefully that's answered that though, those questions um, appropriately for you. Um, I'm just wondering if anybody does have any questions that they want to jot down into the chat, um, and we will we will go ahead and answer those, um, and then see where we get to. Just while I'm waiting for any questions to come in, I do want to direct you try to uh, if you don't mind following the uh, sub or subscribing, I should say, to the YouTube channel, um, and then that will. Um, uh, 
that will notify you of any new videos that I put up and I will try and do like I said try and do these live videos um, once a week at the moment and I am going to do if I get other questions through social media I'm going to try and answer one a day sort of on a live stream on on Twitter or Instagram as well and then what I'm going to do is combine those videos to a YouTube video at the end of the week so that we because um, they only stay up for 24 hours so I'm going to merge them together um, so we get a few more learning opportunities as well I'll try and tag them somehow um, to to people who have asked them um, I do follow my social media pages as well and then uh, everything else that I tweet out about rheumatology based things um, you will see Tamara says thank you that will be very helpful no worries Tamara I hope you enjoyed it um, and hopefully everybody else has as well if there aren't any further questions forthcoming then um, we will end the uh, the live stream in a minute next week we will have a slightly different overarching topic so uh, i'll put that out um over um over social media as to exactly what that's going to be i need to to collate all the questions i've had loads of them um so um i do need to get it uh oh, we've got one in late from peter burns does the threshold for offering bone protection medication change when someone has ra spa oa regardless of oa uh, regardless of age and risk factors um, so, Peter, the threshold for offering bone protection medication doesn't change uh, when someone has those types of arthritis. It's purely based upon, um, so the, the score I use is a FRAX score, F-R-A-X, which you can find on Google, um, which you plug their score into. And what they do uh, is they're just general questions like um, age, um, sex, um, family history of a um, hip fracture. And um, that will give you a score as to what you should do with them. Um, it comes up in three different colours. Green is just lifestyle advice. Yellow is a DEXA scan. And red would be to um, uh, start treating with bone protection. Um, so with the FRAC score, it does allow you to put rheumatoid arthritis as a risk factor in. Um, so that's the one that I use. And I just replace that with rheumatoid arthritis and spondyloarthritis because uh, they are risk factors. Osteoarthritis, as I understand it, is not. Although, as we discussed, um, they could have other general health risk factors associated with that. Um, so it's something to do. But based on screening would be the bone protection. Um, hopefully that answers that question for you Peter Tamara's jotted in another question here is it essential to do certain blood tests in primary care prior to considering a rheumatology specialist no is the answer to that Tamara um, in most cases um, I actually advocate for not doing the blood tests and that's because they there are a certain proportion of patients that will come up negative um, and it, it, you have to be aware of the local referral guidelines which uh, or, or, or um, um, the guidelines for getting into certain departments and sometimes they will not take referrals if certain blood tests are negative whereas unfortunately there are some patients who will have negative blood results and still have a rheumatological condition so it depends on your local pathways um, but I would say no so certainly to that question it's certainly not essential to do blood tests in primary care um, and the, the one of the issues I always have with ordering the blood tests for rheumatological conditions um, is that you we aren't rheumatologists and the issue becomes when we've got a masquerading condition. So for example, I did this absolutely, absolutely did this to a T. Um, I had a patient who uh, I was in room, my rheumatology clinic who um, I thought had barn door rheumatoid arthritis. It turned out they had lupus. So um, when I'd done the blood tests, they came back negative. 
but um, they saw the rheumatologist um, anyway because I referred them into the rheumatologist and they did uh, lupus related blood tests and they came back positive so it's something that's much more complex and we shouldn't feel bad if we are certainly out of our depth with regards to um, some of the more complicated blood testing um faye says what kind of questioning do you recommend to particularly help to guide your treatment and management plan in the case of oa um so certainly um the level of someone's symptoms so on a vas scale the higher that is the less aggressive i would be with their exercise um program but also the reactivity of their um of their symptoms as well so if they react really strongly then i'll take a softly softly approach but otherwise if they're quite un- non-reactive then i push them really quite hard um so the usual um my usual go-to would be a vas of about five or six i wouldn't really be pushing someone much past that and i would want their symptoms to resolve back to normal within 24 hours um no worries peter i'm glad i answered that question for you um and same to you tamara Uh, and then Catherine says what advice do you give regarding joint protection in rheumatoid arthritis do rheumatoid arthritis joints respond well to specific intervention or is medication the main intervention okay um what i might have to do Catherine, is i'll answer that question in a specific um in a specific webinar because that is that's quite a lot um to go over in um in this so uh what i'll do is i'll get back to i'll tell you what we'll do next week next tuesday we'll do rheumatoid arthritis and i'll put that question at the top of the list um okay i was i was going to aim for about 30 minutes um and we're at 29 at the minute so i'll take one more very quick question if someone's got one faye says thank you no worries faye i'm glad you found that useful um okay no worries so uh, like i say for everybody if you don't mind um subscribing to the uh um to the channel and i'll be back same time next week so it'll be eight o'clock eight p.m british standard time next week uh next tuesday unless something catastrophically goes wrong um but hopefully not um i seem to have got the technology working this time around so fingers crossed i can keep managing to do that um and um like i say we'll we'll do rheumatoid arthritis next week do find me on social media at physiojack on twitter um and rheumatology i've just forgotten what my uh instagram handle is rheumatology um dot physio i think i am on instagram um so you can find me there um and like i say i'll do um some little uh, questions that i've had already through on live streams there and create those into one video at the end of the week um so thank you everybody for uh, for joining in and watching if you didn't ask a question thank you for joining if you did thank you very much uh, especially to tamara and faye and Catherine, whose uh, question i'll answer next week um and chewy of course um and hannah who right at the beginning of the show said that we were um we were ready to go and um hopefully you've all, all enjoyed it and we can do this again next week i'll see you then